Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy, joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam, how are things? Good, Mark. Good, uh, good bonus pack win for our Munster to weekend, anyway. Yeah, indeed. It was feisty, interprovincial, like it always is in Tolman Park. We're talking about Munster Rugby's 24-17 win over Connacht Rugby. We'll also look at some of the key highlights from round eight of the URC, preview round nine, look at the Autumn International Series where Eddie Jones and Ryan Pivak are under a little bit of pressure given their sides' respective losses to Australia and South Africa. Suppose, Liam, first off, thoughts, reflections on the life and times of Dottie Weir, who sadly passed away uh, last weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose he was as immense off the field in the last few years as he was on the pitch. And he certainly has a, a rich legacy. And in future, you know, this 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 whole... Uh, inspirational fundraising that he did for MND for motor disease will continue. That's that's the great hope. I think as a player, he was an exceptional second row. Very successful too. I mean, uh, going back to he was actually in the 97-98 season. Obviously, that was he was with the Lions in South Africa briefly. He was also at Newcastle. He won the Premiership title the one only time that a, a team from that part of the country actually won it. And, of course, he, he was in the um, championship-winning Scotland team of 1999 as well. So he did enjoy quite a bit of success uh, with Scotland as well. I think the the real thing about him is he was a character. And, the, you know, we're talking about characters of the game. This was a guy who was a bit of a joker, who was famous for his tartan suits. <laughs> Among, among other things. Incredible character. He'll be so sadly missed. Not even in Scotland, but across the British Isles, Ireland, World Rugby. As you say, he's exuberant, you know, tartan suits. His dry sense of humour. You know, you see YouTube clips of him in the British and Irish Lions tour of mistaken identity. That kind of clip just really resonates in terms of that he weird, the character, the personality lighting up the room, but also providing kind of that kind of um, leadership, I would say. You know, any of the sides that he was in were successful. I don't think it's a coincidence that that happened alongside when Doddy Weir was also part of it. Yeah, Newcastle Falcons, the 97-98 season. That was an incredible, incredible triumph for Newcastle Falcons, given that location. It had been kind of predominantly London, Leicester, West Country clubs, and it was really a hallmark there in terms of his Scottish career as well. Liam as well really was a figurehead for Scotland for many a season. On another day, Scotland could have been in a World Cup final under Doddy Weir's uh, leadership. He, he he certainly was there right through Scotland's arguably their most successful ever era, you know, the 1990s, basically, that, that particular uh, decade. Yeah, I mean, he really was a guy who... Yeah, I can't, he came to real traditional Scottish route out of Borders Rugby. So Melrose, the famous Melrose Club, which has produced uh, absolutely amazing rugby players. Uh, then on to Borders Rugby and then in Newcastle. Uh, and then actually ended up coming back to Borders to finish his career, which is quite unusual as well. When he got diagnosed, I think it was back in as, as 2017, 
from then on, he attended dinners all over the world and, and charity events uh, to highlight motor neuron disease. He'd be sadly missed by everyone who knew about Scottish rugby. Exactly. No, completely concur here, Liam. Just the legacy, even after his playing days, as you said, the motor neuron research is just, you know, is elevated to another level, given Doddy Weir's contributions here, and that legacy will live on, and our deepest condolences to Doddy Weir's family, many friends, inside and outside rugby union here, a massive loss, and, you know, he will be fondly remembered. Liam, I suppose, moving away from Doddy Weir, I suppose we can maybe switch to URC. Round 8 commenced after the November international break. You were in Tone Park last Saturday evening uh, for the Interprovincial between Munster Rugby and Connacht Rugby. Munster running out 24-17 winners. I suppose, Liam, a feisty encounter. And I suppose, what were your thoughts and reflections of the game? Yeah, well, again, so the start is kind of it's great to get the bonus point win because we need to pick up. If we're getting victories from now on the next few weeks, we need to probably pick up some bonus point wins as well. Honestly, I, I, I felt, you know, we kind of were able to beat Scotland playing in second gear. Right. Scrap Scotland. <laughs> Connacht play, playing really in, in, in second gear kind of within ourselves. And you, you get the feeling that with nearly every other fixture, going forward and the, the ten, 10 next fixtures that we have back to back that like that sort of performance probably won't get us very far and we I keep in mind too I thought say in the first half that Connacht were were very strong in in, in their scrummaging they were well on top I would I would even say in terms of scrummaging and they should have probably put a few more points on the board um, in the first half they started well as well, you know, with, with Carty kicking the first penalty. But Casey, like he did all night, his kicking was actually top-notch. Kicking to touch and his box kicking, absolutely top-notch. But it, it was that nice break in the short side that led directly to Calvin Nash going over. So I must say that was that was an excellent uh, work to try. And I think a lot of people commented in Tullamore Park... <laughs> You wouldn't have seen Conor Murray do that long, many a year. That it's nice to see um, kind of a scrum half, you know, even going back to kind of the, the, the strings error, who actually, you know, takes it on and, and does, does the, the short side break. To even, you know, really test out Connacht, you know, the blind side. Now, I mean, as you say yourself, Connacht, I thought, fronted up extremely well, particularly in those opening exchanges, you know, Jack Carty getting the 3-0. But I suppose resilience, again, probably a key word for this Munster rugby performance. They were asked a question already by Connacht and then that scrum. And to be fair to Casey, I have no problem with him having that ingenuity, that creativity to really look at the blind side, really keep opposing defences honest. And I mean, he spotted the gap and then exploited Walton outside uh, for uh, Calvin Ashescora, who thought was very prominent as well here, Liam continuing his good form and I think you could see that was probably a spin move from training's uh, ground as well to make it 5-3. I mean, the wind, it, it was vicious conditions there in Tolan Park just in terms of the wind again. Yes, it, it was. It, it's, it is very funny but the, the wind actually changed from one half to the other. 
which which as we all know does happen in Coleman Park. Yeah. So th- so th- definitely in in the first half it was against Munster and then kind of the same way in the second half ironically. But in terms of Nash, I think you're spot on. I, I you know I th- I think he's a much improved player. He's like a guy who 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 improved himself, right? Because you have to almost do that. But he also was improved by the coaching. And Mike Prendergast, I'd say, has had a very positive influence on his on his development. Again, it was no, it was it wasn't an accident that he was called into the Irish squad there in the autumn. He's kind of you know at that level now where he can push on in 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 totality for Munster to be a starter. I know an awful lot of people have been critical of this emerging Ireland tour to South Africa, but I think for quite a few players that went on that tour, the development of their game. I think went up a notch. Calvin Nash definitely one of them. Certainly Shane Daly, but particularly Calvin Nash, and particularly with the tutelage under Mike Prendergast as well. I think you're seeing fruits of the labour here. You know, with Nash, any of the back three, they're demanding quick rock ball. But again, the service from Craig Casey was superb. But you can see the confidence in the player has completely gone up through the roof. Uh, this season compared to last season maybe just feeling his way into the side not getting many opportunities but has been given opportunities now and I would imagine Liam from a back three perspective he looks really and truly as if he has that jersey for the next few weeks at least anyway given injury problems within the squad yeah he well he does well I mean mean, like look it, it, it ain't looking good for for Andrew Conway long term so, I mean, it's basically you have Nash and you have probably Earlsey coming in there. Daly, I suppose, is a possibility as well. But yeah, I mean, Nash, you could argue Nash is near the first the winger name on the team sheet now. Absolutely. So um, he will have the, the jersey going forward in the next few weeks as well. Exactly. No, I thought it was a great outing for Calvin Nash. But I suppose, Liam, you touched upon a point in terms of the scrummaging. I uh, know Connacht really did get the benefit of the doubt early, but I mean, looking to me, there was maybe a few kind of tactics there from Connacht Rugby in terms of maybe their scrummaging not being caught early by match officials. It was kind of extremely disappointing, the, the officiating. I think both set of supporters would be that the quality of officiating wasn't to the level or standard required. But what were your view upon some of the scrummaging early doors? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, it, it certainly, um, look... I mean, that's what you have to do to get on top of the scrum and Connacht were willing to go there. And if if you kind of can, are able to get away early in the first few scrums, then, you know, that sets a pattern going forward. And, you know, I, I have to give credit to Connacht there anyway. I mean, I thought before the game that um, they were going to be quite uh, hard in the scrums and that's how it proved. I suppose... The, the the good thing is that Munster in the half went on, they actually got, got stronger in their scrummaging at least, so they addressed that. Yeah, it was an abrasive folding five that Connacht had picked here, particularly like Dennis Buckley, I thought, had a very prominent opening quarter for Connacht. Dave Heffernan there, obviously. You'd also had Josh Murphy in the second row, along with uh, Gavin Thornbury, so... I think from that perspective, and Finley Bealham as well. Jesus, forgetting Finley Bealham. So, I mean, from a front five perspective here for Connacht, they did, they did have a good scrummaging platform, uh, early doors. And, I mean, we can probably go to the try, or the try for Connacht. Again, kick in behind. 
a score like this would have absolutely killed Munster a few weeks ago. I suppose we need to talk about it in terms of Ralston, great anticipation, a good intercept try, but again, Munster being kind of their, their own enemy here in terms of clearing their lines. Yeah, but I mean, again, yeah, you could at, at, at Haley. I mean, just crazy, like, because when he got the ball, you know, you could see there was four kind of guys around him. All he does is kick it, kick it, kick it into stands, or or kick it down down the field, and to to pass it across his own line. But that was like absolutely very frustrating, I suppose. Look, to to give them a seven pointer, you know what I mean? So yeah, uh, certainly it was. Uh, a bit of a shock and then you know Connacht then were were going to be um back in the game I suppose we're given handy points really that was the most frustrating thing about it yeah I think so straight after 17th minute when Munster had to stand in their own try line when uh, Connacht again were getting good field position after scrummaging unit uh, Carty kicking to the left corner and in fairness to Munster holding up the mall it was just a, a you know as I say in the last few weeks if that was before the South Africa select 15 game you could see the side probably deflated a bit in terms of their confidence but again Munster's resilience again kind of proved true here Liam and uh, again it was uh, a very kind of um, key moment I thought in the game Connacht had the foothold. But again, Munster came back again, started. I thought the defensive line speed was very good for Munster all night. And again, yielding, you know, a turnover ball deep in Connacht's half, culminating in Roman Salanoa and crashing over from a well worked mole. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, I mean I mean it was there were key moments there, as you said, where where Connacht actually got a scrum penalty and character kicking the line. We we were to be fair to us all night. That's something that was kind of to be strong with as well. You know, you, we talk about Ulster's <laughs> line out and their mauling. Connacht are known for that as well, nearly far more than Munster now. It was great to see see how we were able to deal with that. And then we we actually got a scrum penalty directly after that. So, I mean, it kind of felt like there was, there was a bit of a, a turning of the tide there, you know. Speaking of, 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 of mauling, I mean, I mean, we ended up with a number of tries from the maul. Um, so it's something that, that we're delighted to see back. It's it certainly is something you know extra to have. That if that if all else fails, go to them all, you know, and we were able to do that. And Salanoa, certainly um, in terms of his carrying, he 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 was powerful and uh, great to see him score actually. Exactly, I thought it was a, I thought it was a very progressive performance off Roman Salanoa. If I'm brutally honest, he has to be put into these interprovincials. He has to be tested. I think he was taught a lesson or two maybe early by uh, Connick's uh, scrummaging unit. But in all in fairness, his work rate and also his ball carrying has been was absolutely terrific. So, And again, was very prominent in any uh, malls that Munster had. So I think overall here, Liam, I think Salonoa should be quite happy. I think it's upward curve for him and for Munster Rugby, which is always good. So, I mean, it was 10-all at halftime. Again, conditions very challenging for the kick again, uh, from the Caribou perspective. But I suppose we can maybe fast forward to the 47th minute, bit of tit for tat, but then uh, John Porch getting his uh, yellow card. What was your viewpoint on that, uh, Liam? Yeah, well, firstly, if I remember this correct, 
uh, Carberry made a tremendous break. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> if I realized what would have would have only three or four, I, I can remember Munster making in, in the entire game. You know, tremendous break just shows what 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 Joey can do in broken field running, and then he he kicks ahead and Porch. I thought he stood his ground, to be honest about it. I mean, I didn't think what what else Porch could do in, in that scenario. So, it, my, so my, my point being, yeah, you could certainly say a penalty, you know, from Munster or whatever, but I wouldn't say yellow card for John Porch. No, couldn't couldn't really argue with that. Yeah, I suppose I'll be with you as well. I mean, was there yellow card being issued maybe a bit quickly there by the match official? Maybe he was getting it on the back of some of the tone park faithful as well, putting the pressure on. But yeah, I certainly thought. I don't think the try scoring opportunity was on anyway, Liam. I think the kick was a little bit too, too big. Really, to be perfectly fair. But again, Connacht were down to fourteen players, and I thought it defended pretty well here. You know the Craig Casey decision again, looking to snipe, but this time he was held up over the line. And I know there has been a few comments in terms of that. But again, Casey was being consistent. You know, he was really kind of uh, keeping Connacht defence honest. Really, probably a big turning point in the game was the penalty. John Hodnett being tackled in the air by Jack Carty, and John Ryan, who has been a replacement for Munster, going over after fifty-five minutes. I suppose, Dean, can I get your viewpoint in terms of the John Hodnett Jack Carty incident penalty for you? Yeah, no, if that one for me is a bit different. All right, certainly. Um, look, Hodnett was in the air. And Carty tackled him. Now he wasn't from a great height, admittedly, but um, yeah, I mean, you, you probably would have to say that that that, that would be ten times out of ten given as a penalty and any yellow card. That that's my that's my view reading on it. Again, I think it was a penalty anyway. Now again, the way the play had unfolded, like hadn't you know, regardless of circumstances. Both feet are in the air here, so really, from a Jack Carty perspective, it's uh, player welfare here again. So I've no complaints in terms of penalty. I think it's an inter-pro as well here, Liam, to be perfectly honest. So I think that completely irked uh, quite a few Connacht supporters, particularly on social media, on that particular instance. But like, take nothing away. I thought the likes of John Ryan coming in, Jeremy Lockman coming in, really did stabilise the scrummaging as well here for Munster, particularly in that third quarter going on. And I thought it was a super finish from uh, John Ryan here. Carberry converts 17-10 after 59 minutes. And then we have uh, another mall try. So John Ryan had a mall try. And now Scannell basically coming on for Derek Barron, uh, making his mark and securing the bonus try uh, effort on 65 minutes uh, with another good uh, touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. Um, very, very, very well worked uh, malls. Like this is, the, you know, it, as in, and they weren't easy, you know, they, they, they went a distance. And look, at twenty four ten, that that was that was the game over. There was there was no way in those conditions that Connacht were were going to get two or three more tries, and the bonus point was put to bed. I suppose look, I'll see give, give credit to Connacht. They still had something to to play for, and and Marmion went over from close range to get it down. I suppose to the that um losing bonus point for for Connacht. Yeah, no, Connacht never died in this uh, game, which. For Andy Friend, I know his reflections post-game were very kind of mixed, that maybe he was ruining a few decisions. But again, take nothing away from Connacht. They continue to go to minute 80. I think Marmion coming on for Blade, you know, made necessary impact. 
And again, doing a little bit like Craig Casey had done before uh, in game, looking to snipe around the rock area and finding the gap there. Get it all set up for a fascinating finish, but again, Munster were able to kind of keep Connacht rugby at arm's length. Thought kicking at times was pretty on point. Jack Crowley had come on here as well, here Liam. Some lovely touch finders there with the breeze as well. And uh, Connacht really didn't have an opportunity really to kind of camp in Munster's territory to look for that uh, elusive uh, equaling try score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose we closed out the game very well. Um, and it's just satisfying, you know, that defensively we were we were so strong that we got the four tries that, you know, okay, they got they got two, but really one was an intercept. So, you know, I think we were quite comfortable, to be honest about it, for, for most of that game defensively against Connacht. Um, and that's that's something to 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 bring back with us, you know, the locker. I just I I I just a few players who kind of really impressed me in the game, and I suppose Anton Frisch really was immense in terms of his passing, um, his attacking threat, and quite frankly, he was he's so he's so big. He was actually in a few of those mall tries as well at the back as well, like you know. So he seems to be able to do everything and. He's very much a kind of a, a Yannick Jorgian type, uh, elegant runner, very tall. He seems to be like six foot four or something like <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, and he's just a, a very good find for us. Probably the best attacking centre we've had since, since the real, you know, the good old days. We've, we've been looking, crying out for a centre, and we've certainly found one in him. Yeah, I think if you're gonna have a Tolman Park debut as a three quarters, I think what Antoine Frisch. Delivered last weekend, taking all the boxes. He got involved, Liam. There was a few bone crunching tackles that he made here on Connacht players during various intervals. I suppose his stats do tell the story here. There was nine carries for 44 millimeters, but significantly passed the ball 10 times. That continuity of play, uh, particularly from a three quarters perspective, huge. And I think you have to give great credit here to Rory Scannell as well in terms of his carrying ability five carries, 25 meters, but he. They synced up very well in terms of the mobility and also the skill set here of both Scanlon and Frisch really did complement what was going on with Munster. I suppose tight burn for me, different class again, along with Jean Klein. Like Klein coming back in after a few weeks layoff for the rib injury and he comes in and he delivers 15 tackles, you know, literally work rate central. And then what can you say about tight burn here? You know, he was named in the World 15 for a reason. And again, he just showed his versatility. I thought he was different class on the night. Yeah, absolutely, un- un- unbelievable. Like all his 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 key key turnover battles. It's it's great to have such a talent there, and it, it, it always gives us gives us like a momentum. It, it always gives us a sniff in the game too. You you always get that feeling when you have Ty Byrne on the pitch. I also thought actually that um, it's good to see Crowley getting game time. I know it was unfortunate. The HIA there now for Haley and and I think there was also for Peter O'Mahony. They're those lads probably out for at least a week anyway, you know, for for the next game. I also thought that uh it was good to see Shane Daly in the wing as well. I thought Daly had some nice touches as well. But like to me, yeah, Burn, Frisch, Casey. I just thought Casey was class all night. You know? He's crisp passing, but also his his kicking was just on point. Yeah, his touch finders, particularly in that first half, were extremely impressive. Now people can 
have a go at him in terms of being held up on the line. But I do applaud the ingenuity. I do applaud the creativity here a little bit in terms of testing that inside defense of Connacht, particularly around Rook area. So, again, I wouldn't mind about that. I thought that's a good return to form for Craig Casey. He's Paddy Patterson. He's Neil Crone and Connor Murray there as well. So competition will be fierce. I think from a Peter Mahoney perspective, he did go out at HIA, but I think ultimately he passed that. I think there was a blood injury there. The nose seemed to be uh, bandaged up a little bit when the cameras switched him there towards the latter end of the game. I think Mike Haley did fail the HIA, so it looks as if he'll be doubtful. But I suppose another nod here to maybe John Hodnett. Again, I thought a very prominent performance here, Liam. Eight carries, 26 metres, and 17 tackles on the night. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's he's almost like un, undroppable at this stage, you know what I mean? And he is, he is as, as we were look, looking for for years as well. We were talking about Frisch, you know, in terms of a, a centre. We well, I can tell you, if we were looking at, at a seven, he, he's he's the guy. He's definitely, like, up there, you know? He's like, I, I'd, I'd love to see Byrne and Hodnett together in a back row as well, I have to say. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm impressed with him all season with Hodnett. Exactly, you know, consistent performer. I think the young guns as well, the young prospects again, delivered massively on the night. I suppose from a Connick perspective, Connor Oliver got in an amount of work, uh, returning 16 tackles on the night. Thought he was very prominent. Top front five wise had competed extremely well along with the pack throughout. I suppose special nod to Tom Farrell as well, 13 carries, 56 metres. And again, Byron Rawlson with the try. Again, you know, you could say as well, Bundy Akai, nine carries, 23 metres. But in all honesty here, I think Munster doing enough, as you say, performance levels will definitely need to be elevated. I suppose starting from this weekend, travelling to Edinburgh. Now, Edinburgh did have uh, a loss on the road to Benetton Rugby. And we had mentioned last week on the podcast that Edinburgh would rest a few of their marquee players. And so it proved. But I suppose, Liam, when Benetton Rugby are going down to 14 players after 10 minutes with Mazzoni sending off and also two other yellow cards during the game, you would have expected Edinburgh with the squad that they would have had to have won that match. But it didn't happen on the night. Yeah, it's an incredible, I suppose, result for Benetton, considering, as you said, they were down to 30 minutes at some stages in the games. And Actually, if I can recollect, they actually scored some um, mall over tries or forward tries, you know, <laughs> with those 14 and with those 13 guys as well. I, I think, again, we have to put in perspective, Edinburgh did rest pretty much all their big names and certainly the two Argentinians in terms of their the kicking threat, Blair, Kinghorn, all these guys coming back will make a difference for when they're at home to Munster in the next round. Yeah, it, it's good. It's good to see Benetton pick, still picking up wins. They're still also in the mix for the playoffs for the URC. Oh, I think so. I think it was a key win for Benetton. We've been flagging this during the week. Their home form has been very impressive, Liam, and that has really kept them in the hunt here because their road form has been pretty horrific. So the fact that they beat Edinburgh, given the circumstances that Manzoni sending off early. As we said, going down to 13 players twice during the game. I thought the second half was a very powerful performance for Benetton. I think their pack really stood up. But I, the, the opposite has to be said to Edinburgh. I think there's an awful lot of soul searching in that Edinburgh ball club this week on video analysis. And really, Munster Rugby need to be prepared for a backlash from Edinburgh Rugby uh, this Friday night. 
Yeah, and it's you know it, it it's it is tough to go there. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's tough to go that way to to disguise sides. But again, I mean, like you get the feeling that maybe we have a bit of momentum and uh, now that we get another crucial crucial victory against uh, Edinburgh, uh, and then you know the, the confidence gained from that and getting those two potential victories will bring us right in then to the the European Cup. So yeah, it's it's I. I, look, it's a game we ha- we, we were we would have targeted before we had our poor start to the season, right? As an away win, and it certainly hasn't changed since then. So, um, I I I be I be hopeful that we can go there and and pick up the four points, pick up the victory. I mean, from let's say Graham Rowntree's perspective, it would have been nice if South African Select 15 was an actual URC game. We could have picked up points, but. Given where they are on the table, this win last weekend really does bring Munster back into the chasing pack, into that playoff picture. They need another result here. And Edinburgh Rugby can go one or two ways here. They, they could be very regroup and respond with a performance, or they could feel a bit sorry and a bit negative for themselves. And it could be a nice opportunity for Munster to stake uh, an away win. But again, take nothing away from Edinburgh Rugby the big guns will be back this weekend. And I think for Munster Rugby, that performance against Connacht, even though it had elements of quality in it, needs to be a little bit more refined going to Edinburgh, particularly an Edinburgh team who will like to play expansive rugby when they need to on Friday night. So it's an intriguingly poised game. You know, you consider you've the Toulouse-Northampton games coming, taking fast here, Liam. It's imperative for Munster to deliver... And even a more improved performance than what we've seen in the last two fixtures from Munster. Yeah, again, everything from now on you feel, you know, Edinburgh away, Toulouse at home, and then you're talking about away in Europe, and then you're talking about, you know, the Stevens Day fixture. So Everton is almost like a level will have to be progressed up each week. But um, we have the players coming coming back as well from injury now as well. So, you know, I, I think... These are must-win games, you know. We we are kind of we're we're always saying this at this at this point, but it it the Edinburgh away is a must-win game to, to to try and keep the momentum going. I don't want to be saying this too early, but I think Munster Rugby they're already in playoff rugby mode here, Liam. Just in terms of the margin for error is so small now, given the start to the season, that a run of form has to be created now going into the new year. So, as you say, I think this is a must-win, and I think the focus. And the statements coming out of Munster Rugby has indicated that that they're not even looking at Europe and Toulouse yet, Liam. All the focus is on Edinburgh Rugby and getting a result there and consolidating that mid-table pack position. Not where Munster Rugby want to be, but it is where they are. So they need to string results together and string good performances at that ahead of Europe. I yeah, because in other seasons, Mark, let's be honest about it. Well, nearly every season, right, <laughs> since the European Cup has started, really... The European Cup, those 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 days out are are what's cherished by Munster supporters. Yeah. But this season, you'd have to say that the league should be taking precedence. I know it's incredible to say it, like, but I mean, like, because otherwise, next season, you know, where where are we? So that that's that's kind of what has to be kept in mind, I guess. Been talking about this bigger picture since the start of the season, since the indifferent start of the season. And the ramifications of Munster not being in a Champions Cup next season, the reduced revenue gates, 
in terms of even staff members within Munster Rugby losing jobs, even from a stewarding perspective. All that comes into focus here. Even player contracts probably come into uh, scrutiny. So, as you say, I think the URC League form takes precedent here. Uh, Liam, totally agree with you. It is the bread and butter, and that allows the team to travel to likes of Toulouse or Franklin Gardens for those epic weekend trips away. I mean, otherwise, it's Challenge Cup, and it could be going to no disrespect to Romania or anywhere else, or even on a Wednesday, Thursday night for a Challenge Cup game in France. So I think from that perspective, the reality check is pretty stark here. And I think from a Muscle Rugby perspective, everyone within the organisation realises that. So I'm expecting front foot forward here from Munster and produce a performance against Edinburgh. I suppose, Neem, kind of finishing with round eight, what other reflections do you have in terms of the round that's just gone? Well, I suppose it was eye-catching was was Cardiff winning 35-0 away to the Sharks. Now, I think we both predicted actually last week, you know, that, that, that Cardiff could do a job on the Sharks. And and so it proved, but it, it was just, as was the manner of it, 35-0, you know, like five converted tries to none for Sharks. And then Sean Everett, their coach, has uh, basically been let go after that. Uh, I suppose humiliation is what, is what you could call it, like, you know, for any team. Now, granted, you know we have to we have to remember they were without a lot of their Springboks playing in, against England, but likewise Cardiff were also without players as well. So that was the one that I suppose results-wise that really stood out for me. I know I had a few Welsh lads on social media happy that you were tipping all the Welsh regions pretty much last week, but this one for us was the banker, given that the Sharks, given the contingent that was missing from that pack, particularly. But I wasn't expecting a 35-0 shutout win. And to be honest, Sean Everett, you know, great servant to Sharks and the franchise and the rugby area here. But again, left the board left with no option here to release him, sack him, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we have Neil Powell, the director of rugby, stepping in for the end of the season. I'd be quite interested to see what Noel McNamara's role is with the Sharks going forward. He is remaining on the ticket uh, with the Sharks. And I wonder if he's going to get a more elevated role given the decision to release Sean Everett from his contract here. Yeah, and again, look, we're, we're at this point of the season where, like, who else? I think Neil Powell has been promoted, all right, but um, you, that would that would indicate that the assistant coach is going to be Noel McNamara, yeah, which is which is tremendous for for him. You know, I suppose. Look, the the, the Sharks, they're kind of a team that when they start playing the European Cup. They're going to be very much, you know, uh, very, very suited to cup rugby. Funny way, I, I think that actually they may be far more dangerous in terms of the European Cup than, than the league this season. So that would be interesting to see as well. I think the sum of the parts, particularly in that Champions Cup, is going to be huge, isn't it, Liam? Just in terms of the platform that they will be providing top position, as you say, on these kind of group fixtures their opponents here and we'll preview that in the next week or so here Liam but I mean from a Sea Sharks perspective this can go two ways it can galvanize the squad and the organization again the likes of Neil Powell coming in director of rugby he knows the fabric of the club anyway so but it'll be interesting to see how the backroom staff do galvanize and gel after Sean Everett's um, news really essentially so yeah from my perspective anyway Carter Rugby that is a keynote win for them 
And again, it's kind of providing a springboard for them for further success in South Africa and beyond in the season. I suppose for me, I suppose looking at it from Munster Tinted Glasses perspective, it was great to see Jake Fannery get game time for Ulster Rugby against Zebri. A very prominent performance at 10. And maybe it's one here with Dan McFarlane should take note of heading into a busy schedule, particularly festive period that we may see Jake Flannery get a little bit more game time, but looked very, very impressive in a very impressive win for Ulster against Zebri. It certainly is it's great for, for him to get a, to get a start because I suppose, look, you were kind of wondering how many game time he'd get during the season. Um, and Ulster, they, I suppose, look, they, 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 they got, they got the, the victory against Zebra and as expected, I guess. But um, you, you probably feel that, that there's, there's more in them for that. I think different level of opposition this weekend, no respect to Zebra rugby. Uh, when you consider there's a trip to Dublin to play Leinster on a Saturday night. So it'd be interesting to see if uh, Jake Flannery was to make a 23-man squad here. But again, maybe we leave round eight, look at round nine here. Liam, I'll just read out the fixture schedule. Sharks, Ospreys Friday, Edinburgh, Munster. On Saturday, it was the Stormers, Dragons, Zebra, Glasgow Warriors. Connacht Benetton looks at quite an interesting game on Saturday afternoon as well in the sports ground. Bulls, Cardiff Rugby, Leinster Ulster looks like the blockbuster tie of the round. And then it's culminating in Lions Scarlets on Sunday. I suppose, Liam, can we get a few predictions from you, uh, Sharks Ospreys? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Like after, after 39 5-0 defeat, you, you, you'd guess that they'd come back um, quite strong anyway from that. They'd be hurting big time. Um, I, I can only see the Sharks coming back and, and beating the Ospreys. It's probably like a 10-point victory there. Yeah, I think we might see a immediate reaction here. And unfortunately for the Ospreys, they may be the, the chief victim here. Um, now, they showed some good moments against the Bulls last weekend, the Ospreys, but still went down 43-26 to the Bulls in Transvaal. So, yeah, for me, I think it's the Sharks. You know, I wouldn't even call it a new era. From a, a Sharks perspective, imperative that they can get a win here to uh, get on the front foot for Champions Cup, which I think is a realistic target for that ball club. Edinburgh Munster, um, are you fancying a Munster win here or Ali? Yeah, I have to say that, that, I, that I would be now. I mean, I mean, you have to be optimistic after the, the performance at the weekend and that we can that we can really build on that. And as you said, the, the, the players, there's players coming back in now as well. So I, I think physically... I think we can we can we can really outmuscle um, Edinburgh, and we have players in the back line who will create opportunities and, and score tries. So I, I'm thinking I'm not quite saying we're both point victory, but I'm saying we win by six points. I'm just curious to see what reaction we'll see from Edinburgh rugby this week, given that performance in Italy last weekend. We've said an awful lot of the marquee starters weren't playing for. Uh, but then again, you'd like some McAnally, you'd Piergoss, you'd Himmelman, you'd Jacko van der Vault, you'd various guys like that on the bench. So the fact that they weren't able to get the job done for me would represent some issues within the camp here. I think it will be a tough encounter here for Munster Rugby. I'm still thinking likes of Buffelli, Darcy Graham, guys of that stature, Gilchrist. There will be guys coming back in. This is a game that Edinburgh Rugby, I think, will be have already earmarked on the calendar ahead of a very busy busy festive period. I'm thinking Edinburgh by three to five here, Liam. I just think that 
there may be cohesion issues here or maybe the penalty count here from Munster might be the downfall here. So Yeah, although, so, although sometimes you look at it another way, Mark, um, it, all these guys coming back after whatever, a month, month and a half away, you know, with their, with their different teams, that it might work against Edinburgh first game up. There might be a lot of mishandling and, and, and you know, drop passes and just... just Guys running lines, I suppose running lines that other guys are not following, and so that that's that gives me a bit of kind of a maybe hope or something. And that's perfectly valid as well, Liam. But uh, I think there's a few guys here, and there might be a few cohesion issues for Edinburgh early. But I think for Munster, they need to kind of get a good game lead here early to really kind of test Edinburgh. I think it'll be a fascinating encounter here. Got to be massively superb for Munster if they can get another win, build that momentum here particularly off the back of Parker Keeve, now Tolman Park, and then to significantly go on the road to get a result would be massive. But I just have that niggling doubt until that happens here, Ling. Stormers, Dragons on Saturday at midday. Any hope for the Dragons here? Stormers were very impressive last week, weren't they? And you'd have to say that that, that Stormers, even without their Springbok players, they seem to be still played that, that training brand of rugby. So I, I would say the Stormers to get a bonus point victory against against Dragons. Yeah, I think Dragons had shown some good flashes against Lions last week, but ultimately came away with nothing. And I think this is a more more dangerous proposition for the Dragons. Yeah, I think from a Stormers perspective here, they're kind of running along quite nicely. They're going to have their international contingent back. Again, Stormers winning 36-19 against Scarlets last weekend. It's kind of a four-run. I think it's probably a 10-15 point win for Stormers here. Bonus point being secured third quarter. Sedbury, Glasgow Warriors, I suppose two teams that need a bit of a result here. Yeah, and uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, to go away from home, you have to you have to, to, to play to a, a certain high standard. Uh, you, you Look, you'd have to say Glasgow. I mean, I mean, Zebra haven't actually won a game this season so far. And uh, it's hard to see where they're going to you can come from so I think Glasgow will be hurting again from last week against uh, Leinster and I think they'll get the the wrap up early enough they'll wrap up the five point bonus win yeah I'd agree with you here I think Zebra are just the squad depth issues are now really appearing here given injuries so I think from Glasgow Warriors perspective the manner of their loss last week shipping 40 points but I think their inability to execute in the red zone against Leinster, given that Leinster gave them ample penalty opportunities here, really would have infuriated backroom staff and also players alike in video analysis. I think they rectify that. I think there's a bonus point there easily for Glasgow, uh, maybe probably 15-20 point win uh, there for Glasgow Warriors. Connick Benetton is a very intriguing fixture for me here in Galway on Saturday. Benetton fresh from that 24-17 win against Ed- uh, Edinburgh. They come to Connacht, who now need a result here to really keep tabs with the rest of the playoff chasing pack. Who do you feel here, Liam? Uh, will get the edge here in Galway on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of fascinating off, all right, because it's it's kind of a fixture that could go either way, really. That Connacht still has that bit of quality, bit more, bit better quality than 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 Benetton. For Benetton, they'll be looking to say, like, you know, we've got to pick up an away win at some stage, and why not on Saturday? Um, I would probably say about seven, eight point win for Connacht. I think it might be tighter here, Liam. Pure reason here is that Connacht rugby put a massive emphasis and effort into that Munster rugby performance last weekend. 
they're very disappointed in terms of how that game has fared. They've had injuries coming out of that game. Byron Ralston looks as if he's a long-term absentee. And I think there's a few knocks and niggles here that need to be addressed ahead of Benetton. Now, Benetton's home form has been nothing short of atrocious. I think Connacht, that level of intensity last weekend, I don't see them replicating it here. And maybe they're a little bit vulnerable here, uh, Liam. And again, it's that come-down performance here from Connacht that has been blighting their season, season in, season out in recent years. So I think Connacht will win, but I don't think this would be a classic by any stretch, maybe a three-point win for Connacht, but would not be overly surprised if Benetton Rugby were to snatch a, a first road win of the season. Uh, Bulls, Cardiff Blues in the transfer. Again, Cardiff Rugby coming from a magnificent 35-0 uh, win over the Sharks. Any chance against the Bulls? Yeah, I would. I would. Again, it's hard to know what kind of players that the Bulls are going to have back. I I presume, again, that, that they won't have their South African guys, the likes of Superstar Rense, Curtly Rense and all these guys. So so I, I'm going to actually tip Cardiff to do the double and to come away with a two or three point win against the Bulls. Yeah, I just I just think that they're down there now. They they got the win first up and the pressure's off almost like so that's 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 my view on it. I think the key point you've mentioned there is the pressure's off. Die Young and the Cardiff Rugby squad and backroom staff, even if the the tour ends now, they have a, a win under their belt. I think they can become very expansive here against the Bulls side that do give you chances to score. So I mean, from a Cardiff Blues rugby perspective, I'm always saying Blues, they're Cardiff Rugby now, the rebrand. But to be fair to Cardiff, they do have the ability out wide to really expose the Bulls. I'd go with maybe uh, another win for Cardiff Rugby here. This is a massive, massive statement from Cardiff Rugby if they can pull this off. I think maybe three, five points in a very high-scoring game. And then we come to the box office fixture the weekend, Leinster-Ulster in Dublin on Saturday evening. Who are we tipping here, Lynn? You know what? I mean, until Ulster actually get the win... You would have to always tip Leinster, you know. They always have that extra six, seven points in them. And Ulster, you know, the last game, I mean, they, they threw everything at Leinster, but st- still, really, you know, were found a bit wanting. I think it's fair to say. And you know, they're an excellent team in terms of their turnover, usually Ulster, but they're going to be met by a superior force, I think, at the weekend against Leinster. I think Leinster, I even have a feeling that they'll, they might, they'll get over the bonus points. So maybe eight, nine point win against uh, Ulster. Yeah, I think this is, this is pretty intriguingly poised. For Ulster coming in, Leinster Rugby's video analysis this week probably would have been a bit of a kind of reality check for one or two players in the squad. There was too many penalties. They gave Glasgow Warrior far too many opportunities to get into their 22 something that Leo Cullen, Stuart Lancaster will be at pains to uh, rectify this week in training. You have another renewed, refocused Leinster rugby outfit. You'll probably see Irish internationals back on both sides. I think from a Leinster perspective, there is a statement of intent on this fixture. I think from Ulster rugby's perspective, if they do, if they get a loser point here, they'll be doing quite well because this Leinster rugby team want to make a statement heading into the Champions Cup. And I think there's competition for place in that, even in that 23-man squad. So I think Liam, I think Leinster are probably getting a bonus point, probably winning by 10 points here, uh, all being said. And then finally, on Sunday, Lions-Scarlets. 
in Johannesburg. Scarlet's pretty beleaguered at the moment. Do you see any chance for them pulling a unlikely, well, <laughs> I'll probably mention my kind of thoughts on it, but an unlikely road win against the Lions on Sunday? Yes, I think the Lions will prey on the Scarlet's. They're going to go in for the kill early. <laughs> uh, yeah, and honestly, I mean, I, I, I think I think I could see them putting up 40, 50 points and winning by, by 20 or 30 against against Scarlet's. Yeah, again, where's the spark coming from from Scarlet's? They need a result from somewhere. And again, probably this time last year, Lions may have been seen as kind of one of those South African sides where you could possibly get it, but they're a far more evolved side, Liam. Nothing soft is going to be given to Scarlets here. Uh, Stormers winning 36-19 last weekend against Scarlets, again, from a Scarlets perspective. Some good moments, but again, defensively, discipline-wise, again, letting the side down. I think it'd be a little bit more tighter than you anticipate, but I think still Lions should be good enough to get this win, 7-10 points. I suppose round nine in the books here. Maybe we can quickly turn to the Autumn International 2022 series. It's in the books. Liam, we had two fixtures last weekend. Wales facing Australia and England facing South Africa. And for Wayne Pivak and also Eddie Jones, probably an awful lot of questions to answer after Wales and England's performances uh, last weekend. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, in terms of the, the Wales and Australia game. I mean, Wales actually played tremendously well for 60 minutes, but then they, they lost it completely with Tipperich's yellow card and just 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 conceded tries after that. But like at the end of the day, they've lost now to Georgia, you know, they've lost to Italy and they blew a lead of 21 points in 20 minutes. So I mean that's Max of a side that that doesn't believe I suppose in what the coach is doing. The coaching setup has to change, I think, and uh, has to change for the Six Nations and give them at least a, a fighting chance at the World Cup, where they're going to have the likes of Australia and Fiji in the World Cup group, and they still have some very good players to to choose from. They, but they do they need to change a coach, but maybe. Not to go down the whole Warren Gatland route again. Again, the question is, who are you going to get? Maybe someone for, that will go from now until next September. Uh, that's going to be hard to get. I think they were talking about Rob Howley. But, I mean, really, they've got to get a bit bit, bit better than that, really. And as well as that, if you're reviewing Wayne Pivak, I think you're reviewing the backroom staff around Wayne Pivak as well. It's not just a case of replacing one because you're still going to have that backroom coaching staff that was assisting Wayne Pivak as well. So I, that team composition as well, I think represents a massive issue from a Welsh rugby union board perspective. If you do make that change at the top, I suppose positives here for Wales. Let's talk positives. Jack Morgan, again, very prominent in terms of the first half tries. Falatel as well has been playing superb stuff. You had Rio Dyer again, who's been introduced as part of the November series. He scored another try. So, I mean, Jack Morgan scores too. So, I mean, from an attacking intent perspective, all great. But, again, Justin Tipperick receives the yellow card. But better teams will try to absorb that a little bit better than Wales. Maybe it's the confidence within the squad right now when the first try went over. 
it just literally spiraled from there. And again, leadership on the pitch seemed to be non-existent, particularly in that last 20 minutes. And I don't care what head coach you are. If you have players on the pitch that are not going to provide that leadership and provide that drive in critical, high-pressurized situations, I, I don't know where you go from here. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, as you said, I I would also say that that Adam and Jones, I, I had quite a, a good game, and George North, defensively very, very, very strong. So they they have a lot, you know. That there's a, a Garrett Danscombe before he went off injured. You know, I know the collapse was I suppose spectacular, is all you can say. But they played very well for sixty minutes. That's also what has to be kind of mentioned. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't performers where you say afterwards that they were like four and five out of ten like most of those guys were like you give them a seven give them an eight out of ten jack morgan probably a, a nine a nine out of ten you know they have reason to be happy but look the record of pivac has been terrible and uh, look look he, he has to go like when he's going to be reviewed yoyan evans is now actually appointed the head of the the wru and it'll be interesting to see what he would do going forward, I suppose the first thing is to review the coach. Again, I just I just don't know right now who would take Wales over. It's a very tricky situation. If you're someone looking for a head job, you're probably waiting until after the Rugby World Cup, a new cycle, four years to build a programme. So they're going to have to parachute someone in potentially here, Liam. And I don't see too many candidates. I think they're going to maybe go tried and trusted here or maybe get a Jenkins or someone to that effect who's part of the backroom staff to step up as head coach. I'm not quite sure here. Maybe a Dean Ryan, maybe Di Harrington. I'm not sure in terms of that as well. It's a very tricky situation that Wales find themselves in. But, you know, it's almost loaded us into a false insecurity. When we think that Welsh rugby is down, they'll come and produce in the Six Nations. So maybe there's a little bit of dog left in them, Liam, come the new year. I think it's needed, it's required heading into a World Cup year. But again, I think there's serious questions to review from a Welsh Rugby Union board perspective from a national side, but also, I suppose, the regions as well here, uh, Liam. There's been a neglect of the regions, and I think maybe that's coming home to roost in terms of player development here, particularly the, the young guns here, that maybe whoever does come in after Wayne Pivak, that could be after the World Cup, there needs to be a systematic review in terms of how the regions are running and how that is filtrating into the national team's psyche. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, you're going to have guys on central contracts like in Wales, almost like you know Ireland have here when you come in, a key international player. But a lot of the other guys in the Welsh squads don't know for next season what's going on, and that's uh, that uncertainty there that that's been left fester is just uh, absolutely crazy. But yeah, I mean, look, they're they're down, but they're, I don't think they're quite out. Wales, you know. They're, they're prone before to some unbelievable bad results and then they go on amazing runs. And I think they're still going to be dangerous come to Six Nations. Oh, I certainly do as well. Now, Wayne Pivak's record in the calendar year, Six Nations, he can argue about the injuries that he had to face in that Six Nations. He can point to the fact that he's developing young players like Sebastian, guys like that, Rio Dyer has come in. But again, it's a results business here, Liam, and I think if you're a board member of the Welsh Rugby Union, you have to be looking at that with major concern. As you said, the marquee results here, really, the Georgia loss, really kind of maybe exposing a bit in terms of depth chart within the national team. 
but also this manner of this loss is probably and, and I don't think we should be surprised here, Liam, because Australia against Ireland showed that they're very competitive, and there were one or two passes away from stringing a few tries together against Ireland. So we shouldn't be at all surprised here that Australia had that purple patch when they did. I think they've been threatening that for the whole. Yeah, on, I, I'd even say on, unlike unlike say the, the likes of the you know the Scots and the Welsh, they can be all bluster all they want. But like the thing is with Australia, they have the talent, but it's just getting over the line. You know, they're 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 like they're they're just so close. And if they got, like, uh, you know, maybe two wins together, you know, they could go on a, a real good run up to the World Cup. So, but again, Dave Rennie has just just basically probably saved his his um, coaching contract. Again, you know, otherwise he probably would have been gone. He's he's got a shocking record as well, something like thirty five percent. But um, I suppose, look, it's worked out for him in terms of the game. They had a guy who, an unknown guy to me, uh, playing at out half because um, Cooper was gone and Lelisoa wasn't there. So they had uh, probably uh, arguably their third choice halfbacks, Australia, in that game. I think Donaldson was, was the guy's name in, in, in number 10. So, I mean, I mean, things actually worked out very well for Australia there. Certainly did. And they're identifying the depth chart here as well, which... I think is key for Australia as well, just given the Florence result as well. Uh, they've uh, unearthed a few quality players here and a game like the Principality Stadium will only galvanise that squad. But as you say, they'll have rugby championship to contend with next season before rugby 2023. So nothing soft there, Lean with teams now looking very much in the front, front mirror on France 2023. I suppose, Lean, before we conclude, England booed off the pitch against Twickenham, uh, in Twickenham against South Africa, 27-13, the final score. Again, South Africa's power game, too much for England, who really didn't show uh, anything of note in this game. No, they didn't really, did they? I mean, I mean, it was, it was I suppose, in the first half, it was quite uh, tight in terms of penalties. But um, South Africa, like the, I think one of the, one of the tries of the season, certainly, with Willemsa, Taking a a kick ahead um, and then passing to Willie Larue and then he giving it on um, left to right to Curtly Arense, who had a lot to do, as he was said against Marcus Smith, but he just stood him <laughs> and went gone. And he, he, he like he so he's in there basically. You have him and you have uh, Colby, so he 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 looks in the in the frame of Co- of Cheston Colby as well. That was that was that was unbelievable to see. Marcus Smith joins Owen Farrell, knowing how how you feel when you get stepped by a South African back three. That was a phenomenal scoring, and really just showed the kind of South African attacking intent on the back line when they're given ball. Like I mean, so much in South Africa is really built on that pack, that physicality. But the players here like Curtly Lorenza, who can literally produce world class moments like that, and I suppose. Damien Willemse dropped goals as well, fairly key. Fafdu Klerk, superb, I thought throughout. thought the halfbacks really did control his game superbly well. And Eben Ethabet, what can you say about him, was just absolutely outstanding on the day. Um, so, I mean, overall, didn't give England an absolute prayer. And I thought, I felt sorry for the back three for England because they saw hardly any ball during the 80 minutes. Yeah, and, and, and they're, they're classy, you know. 
like Stuart and, and me, uh, they're, 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 they're good quality players, like, you know. England, yeah. The, 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 the problems with England is that, I suppose the chief one is, you know, you have uh, Eddie there as coach and he's kind of becomes a busted flush at a certain point, you know, two or three years in really into his international rugby with any team. When when the coach is always, you know, making excuses like that and, and probably not being honest themselves about their own part in the downfall, yeah, it's it's it must be hard to take for England fans anyway. I think so. The entertainment value has been in low supply. Now, if you remove the last probably 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the New Zealand game, again, there wasn't hardly anything that they could really shout about in terms of continuity, cohesion. We thought they may have turned a corner in terms of playing what was in front of them. But I suppose different calibre in terms of the pack. You know, I was surprised in terms of the pack exchanges. But South Africa produced their best performance um, of this tour in the final game. And I think that's a warning sign for everyone else that South Africa... I think I've learned a hell of a lot in terms of this tour, in terms of evaluating certain players in various positions. And I think you're going to see a South African team next year on the upper curve, which I think for the likes of Ireland and Scotland, particularly in that World Cup group, is ominous, I think, uh, just given uh, what we saw there in Twickenham on Saturday. I mean, I mean OK, when, when we look at the autumn internationals and, and who came out the best out of us, right, we could say... The most obvious is France and uh, Ireland. But I would actually argue that South Africa came, came the best out of it, actually, <laughs> in total. They they were able to uh, see up close and personal Ireland and France go toe-to-toe. Absolutely. There was literally nothing in it in either games. And then they got the handy win against the Italians. And they picked up the win against um, England as well. But um, also, I suppose... Uh, you 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 probably would look at Scotland would be happy enough with the way that the, it went for them in the autumn, picking up wins against Fiji, a really good thumping win against Argentina, and then a very battling performance there um, against New Zealand. So I think they have something to take as well from it. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, Liam. I think uh, South Africa definitely have learned massively, as I've said. Again, Scotland, yeah. Again, two wins, one loss, and that loss against New Zealand probably is one that they'll ruin regret for the months to come. Um, I suppose from an Ireland perspective, you know, three from three would be a little bit concerned in terms of our possession territory, particularly against Australia and South Africa. Did get the job done, short-term success, but ultimately it's 2023, and I think we're going to have to elevate that performance a bit, particularly our pack performance even more going into that World Cup in September. Think from let's say that perspective, France again continued a winning run, but as we said, this winning run that they're on, it's almost like more pressure put on them. So I think you know Australia have shown vulnerabilities in France, particularly in that first game. Now, mind you, there has been the South African performance as well was fairly attritional. There's nothing between these teams, Liam. So I think from let's say an England Wales perspective, all's not lost, but I think the preparation, they're, they're going to have to show some form here, particularly in the Six Nations, to be really considered, like, do they know what their squad depth is like here uh, for those teams? And the form coming into Six Nations wouldn't inspire much confidence, really, at the moment, but I think Wales have always traditionally, once their back's against the wall, they do produce 
an excellent Six Nations. And I think we might see that. But for England, I'm not so sure. And news of a three-man managerial candidate base or database was identified or leaked the media this week. Ronan Agar, apparently one of those names. I mean, from an Eddie Jones perspective, looking at that, what's that saying in terms of the RFU and how they're dealing with their business? Yeah, intriguing, isn't it? I mean, I mean, and Rog has admitted that he would look at it seriously if offered the job, and and rightly so. I mean, the resources that England have, I think he actually pointed out in an interview himself that um, England are always there, thereabouts at the World Cup. They're like World Cup finalists or they're they're semi finalists at the World Cup. So I mean, it, it's 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 a no brainer, you know. It would be, I suppose, hard for him to leave what he's built up in La Rochelle, but. Um, and I suppose for Irish people to see an English guy as coach. But then again, I mean, we have the same thing with, with Andy Farrell. So there you go. And it's, it's worked out well for us. And we have Munster with Graham Roundtree. So, but I, I, th- I think England will basically, whoever of the three they pick, they will throw the money at them and it will be an offer that simply won't be refusable. I believe so, and I think the resources that the RFU would have at the disposal, you think of grassroots here, Liam, the structures in place all across the country, England would have them, they're ticking all the boxes, the facilities, the rugby clubs, the community there, in terms of competitive leagues now, we've been critical of the Gallagher Premiership here once or twice at the start of the season, but again, besides that, everything is set up for an incumbent to come in. Now, assumption here is that Eddie Jones serves his contract and that they have someone lined up. But now, again, Six Nations could be that kind of key asset test again or barometer. But I'm assuming Eddie Jones is getting assurances here from the England Rugby Union Board that his position is assured until the end of the World Cup. But again, whoever the incumbent is, no stone, as you say, will left, be left unturned. I think he's a quality team. Look, look at Henry Stead. He scores a try. Again, we've kind of very impressed by him and his skill set. You've likes of Marcus Smith, you've J- May. Jack Noel is far from, you know, done as an international player, but I think maybe he needs a fresh mindset, perspective. Like Roger's building something in La Rochelle, but to be fair to Rog or whoever else is going to take this on, you have personal ambitions to become an international test coach, test match coach. So a country like England comes calling, you're not going to turn that down. So I think from that perspective, it'd be intriguing who the other two candidates actually are in the shortlist. Because if Ronan Agar is part of that, then there is that level of calibre of coach here. I yeah, think. I, I think it's it's pretty well known that, it, that uh, certainly the second one would be uh, Scott Robertson. Mm. I'm not sure what the third one would, would, would be, but um, yeah. And again, you, you get the feeling. That, I mean, it's, it's not beyond the bounds of, 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 of incredibility, but that... These guys could also end up as coaching, so or like you know, international coach. I mean, in in Wales or or even of Australia. Exactly, because there may be a conveyor belt there. I would say, Liam, if one job were to fall, that would make things very interesting in terms of how the dominoes would would run here. So, but I think yeah, it's intriguing. There's also, there's also talk of uh, maybe Steve Borthwick coming in as well. Like you know, if if you're looking at any sort of English candidate. And again, as you said there, if Borthwick was to go in there, then Robertson is free to to go to one of the other international um, jobs. I'm going to put another name out there. Might be a long shot, but Rob Baxter 
from Exeter Chiefs. The legacy, what he's built at Exeter Chiefs has been nothing short sensational. I think this is a guy that potentially is a, a test match head coach in making. Maybe from a kind of a Welsh perspective here might be an angle here or even from an RFU perspective, but I mean, Steve Borwick as well with Leicester Tigers, what he's done with them, you know, in a short period of time, maybe he wants another year or two to basically solidify that uh, legacy as well. I mean, you Mark McCall from Saracens, you know, look at all the proven silverware that he's been delivering here with no the likes of Itaji, Owen Farrell, Jamie George, you know, that Saracens nucleus as well. So, there's no shortage of head coaches here <laughs> that may be playing their trade and got her premiership as well. So, But I think it'll be fascinating here, Liam, to see what happens. But I think from an England and Welsh perspective, maybe a few reality checks in terms of November autumn series. But again, hope springs eternal. Next year is when you need to deliver. And uh, we'll <laughs> we'll have to run the state back this time next year to see what happened uh, with the World Cup. I suppose, Liam, we can leave it there. Many thanks for your time. Yeah, maybe we can review uh, round nine. Uh, there's a few tasty fixtures and also look at the Champions Cup unbelievably we're in December so maybe run the rule over a few of the pools here and see who the dark horses are to win that but uh, thanks team enjoy the weekend great Mark we'll see you next week take care thank you for listening to this podcast episode if you liked what you heard in this podcast why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon Spotify YouTube or Twitter platforms you can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.